Welcome to the Energy Fellows podcast, where each episode is designed to share expertise and experiences from U.S. and global energy fellows. They provide direction and possible solutions for ultimate journey results. Here's your host, Mark Stansberry. Enabling best-in-class customer experience and operational excellence in a hyper-connected oil and gas world, TCS prioritizes problem-solving and leverages customer insights to drive real business results. To find out more, go to TCS.com. That's TCS.com. Welcome to another episode of the Energy Fellows. I'm Mark Stansbury. Today we have with us Stacy Huddleston. He's a financial expert, and not only in the region, but nationally. And I would say internationally as well. So, Stacy, welcome to the Energy Fellows podcast. Hi, Mark. It's great to be here. I appreciate you know your invite. Well, it's wonderful to have you on. And as I'd mentioned to you about this show, is that it goes to students, to those that are up and comers, all the way to the CEO level, C-suite level, primarily energy folks. But there are those that are from consumers on that are wanting tips and how they should look at things as well. So it's a pretty broad audience, and it goes to a lot of folks across the United States, but across the world as well. That's wonderful. Yeah, it is wonderful and glad, again, that they can hear from right now. I mean, the challenge, Stacey, is where do we go? What do we do? How are we going to survive, whether it's the energy industry or other sectors? And there's so many uncertainties, and there's some things that are certain that we need to go over as well. But I'd like to, first of all, I'd like to get started on all those kind of questions and talk about the future and the opportunities ahead. But the audience always likes to hear about, and it seems pretty popular, about the journey of life of those being interviewed. So if you will, tell us about your journey, uh, where it all began and then up to now. No, I appreciate that, Mark. And you know, I'm excited to have this opportunity. And I really do hope that the audience you know, can take away you know, bits and pieces and at least have you know, some talking points of their own to talk about as they're, you know, having discussions, whether it be energy related or policy or just economic conditions. You know, for me, it all started up in, you know, the Quad Cities up in Illinois and Moline. I grew up on a small farm there, joined the army, spent a few years there and, you know, went to school in Illinois and eventually found my way to Oklahoma and spent 15 years there in commercial lending. And, when I say that, it really is just kind of in the traditional sense. I, you know, started off a little bit in the consumer lending and then eventually found my way into commercial lending and financing businesses who needed access to working capital, specifically working capital lines of credit. And my goal was always to solve for cash flow. That seemed to always be one of two of the main stressors that keeps business owners up at night is either cash flow or people. you know, I haven't heard a business owner yet complain that they had way too many people or too much cash. And so there's obviously some strategy that's involved. But after a while, I eventually made my way over to Kansas City, relocated there and worked for a few banks, worked for a couple of non-bank lenders and really opened my eyes to a little bit more of the freedom of lending that's out there. And eventually made my way back to Seacoast Bank, back to what I would consider commercial banking. Seacoast Bank is located in Stewart, Florida. They have several locations throughout the state of Florida. And my division that I work within is called Seacoast Business Funding. And we primarily 
work with business to business or business to government agencies, primarily working with companies that need access to working capital. So we set up what I consider collateral based lines of credit and the collateral being account receivables and inventory. As far as the contact, how do they reach out to you and what's the best way to reach out to you and to your bank? Yeah. So a couple of ways. My email is Stacy S-T-A-C-E-Y dot Huddleston, H-U-D-D-L-E-S-T-O-N at Seacoast, B as in bank, F as in funding dot com. So it's Stacy dot Huddleston at Seacoast, B-F dot com. Or, you know, look me up on LinkedIn. Just do a search for Stacy Huddleston in Kansas City, and I should be the only one there. Well, on the energy front, you've been involved, I know, on the commercial front that way. And, you know, here's a company, I know several companies that are always looking at opportunities as far as refinancing and looking at what challenges are ahead. And first of all, what are the challenges ahead? Because where's the market going? And how do they position themselves? So that only not only goes for energy companies, but all companies. Right now, you hear all kinds of advice if you turn on the television. They're going to give you every kind of advice, but maybe the right one. <laughs> so what's the right advice, Stacy? Yeah, so the right advice, quite honestly, is just do your due diligence. You know, before anybody really jumps into making a pretty significant decision. That's you know, whether it be industry specific or whether or not you might be just changing banks, you know, there's a lot of movement that's happening out there right now as companies are beginning to make or think about making some changes. I've worked across several industries. I feel like I've worked with them all, but, and then of course I get a new loan request for a new industry and I get surprised just about every other day. So you know, oil and gas and the energy service industry was one that I worked within pretty heavily when I was in Oklahoma, and I loved it. And I continue to work within that industry today. And I will give the same advice, whether someone's in the energy industry or energy services, as I do if they're in the cybersecurity industry or if they're in the apparel business. And that is right now, bankers are looking at their entire loan portfolio to determine whether or not they want to keep their client. And that's just about every bank that is happening right now. The reviews are happening. And while they may not talk to the client at this time, they're certainly reviewing every single client's financials. And they're looking at making a decision for 2023 as to whether or not they should continue to bank that client. What that means, and it has been verified and validated with several other banks, and what this means and what I'm seeing across the country is large banks who are working with large clients. We're talking about credit facilities that are $100 million or more. So these are upper mid-cap to large-cap type companies. They have more sophisticated CFOs, more sophisticated back office help, and they are being very proactive right now. So they know whether or not they're going to meet their numbers. They know if the covenant restrictions are in line and if they're going to trip maybe some of the covenants and put them in a technical default. And they know what their cash flow, projected cash flow should end by the end of the year. And by knowing all of these things, they know whether or not 
that tough discussion is going to happen in the next few months with their banks. So many of these companies who have these very sophisticated CFOs who have very good financial acumen are already being proactive and looking for and moving their banking relationships. We're beginning to see this. However, those who do not have a sophisticated CFO or don't have a strong back office seem to be sitting on the sidelines and waiting for something to happen. And if that is the case, if the listeners are really reading between the lines and really listening to this, I don't know how much more point blank I can get. And that is you need to be talking to your lender right now and determine if they suspect that your loan might be asked to exit or if they suspect that they're going to trip some covenants. They need to be proactive now and look for a new lending relationship that may have a little bit more flexible loan covenants or loan rules, specifically tied to financial performance covenants. Mm -hmm. This is extremely important because We've seen overnight since March of this last year or of this year, rates go from a prime rate of three and a quarter percent to now 7%, right? And so almost overnight, we have seen the cost of capital or the interest rates more than double just in the last six to eight months. And what this is causing is what I consider the trifecta, right? This is across all industries, we're seeing increased cost of goods. We're seeing an increased cost of labor. And now we've seen the cost of capital more than double just in the last six to nine months. And if the client or the company is not making substantial shifts within their company to change some of their processes, creating efficiencies, raising their prices, they're not doing those things then one of the three, if not all three of those will have a negative effect on the banking relationship if, you know, as they look to more than likely trip financial performance covenants. So being proactive is more necessary than ever. And you mentioned covenant restrictions. Are there some that in far as renegotiating that you suggest that they be careful about when it comes to definitely put on paper, putting on paper the covenant restrictions that could trigger a default or whatever might happen. Yeah, no, you're right. Right now, cash flow is king. Not just cash, but cash flow is king. And that means the last thing that anybody should be doing right now is taking any type of debt and putting it on a very short-term loan. If someone is buying a large amount of equipment for the oil field, they should not be putting that equipment on a three-year term loan In their mind, it might sound great and they want to pay off the debt as quickly as possible. And even if they think they can pay that off in three years, great. But if they have the option to put it on a five or 10 year loan, they need to do it for as long as possible because on paper, they at least have the option to make that smaller payment if their cash flow is crunched. And so, you know, just about every loan that I've seen requires a nice balance of debt coverage service ratio, which is your EBITDA over your total debt payments or your maximum total debt payments, and then your liquidity ratio, your debt to equity. So often we have seen, especially when 08 happened, a lot of companies, they distribute all of their profit at the end of the year. 
and they draw their company down to zero. And unfortunately, when that company goes out to get a credit line, you know, the debt to equity ratio or debt to tangible net worth goes into play and banks are regulated. Therefore, they push the regulations down to the company level as to how much leverage that company is allowed to take. And most companies, most banks don't like to see companies with more of a leverage of two and a half times their equity. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. if they have profit, you know, distribute some, I guess, whatever it is that it takes to live on, but put quite a bit of that in retained earnings. You know, we're seeing massive distributions that are happening on companies that took a large amount of PPP loans. And so they're just distributing a lot of those funds. And it's not pleasant to see that, not when they could just hold it as retained earnings and beef up their balance sheet. I'm sure as most banks, financial institutions throughout the U.S. look at different scenarios, but it sounds like what I'm hearing is hold on tight. There could be some definitely things changing, we'd say. From the standpoint of inflation, recession, what's the crystal ball outlook for Stacy? from the standpoint of what you believe is on the way? Yeah, so we've talked a lot about this in the past, Mark, and, and you know, I keep coming back to uncertainty is the buzzword, and I continue to say that that's a buzzword that's going to be used for the rest of 22 and going into 23. I happen to believe, and this is my own personal opinion that uncertainty will become more certain at some point, probably I would say mid-January, and it's not going to be pretty. I believe personally that we are in a recession. We just don't want to use the R word until after the holiday season. We don't want to scare and put the world into a fear mode, but I think that we really are my personal opinion, I think that we already are in a recession. We're at the front side of it. And I think we're going to be here for a few years. With that said, once the holidays are over, I think publicly it's going to be accepted that we are in a recession. And when that happens, I think that we're going to see a nice dip in the stock market. Again, this is my own personal opinion, and I don't advise anyone to go out and invest one way or another. I'm not that guy. But I think that this level of uncertainty will become very certain, and I don't think that it's going to be positive for us. You know, several reports are coming out, you know, what I consider in in mid-November and into December. We're going to see a lot of global reports that will have come out by, I would say, mid-December. This includes inflationary numbers from not just China, but Japan, from France, from Great Britain. We are going to see the producer price index numbers coming out. And I think that, again, that will dictate whether the Fed raises the rate another 50 basis points or 75 basis points in December. What's interesting, and again, this is my own personal opinion, I think we're going to hear a new buzzword that we haven't heard in a while, and that's pace. Pay attention to that word, pace, and not pace picante sauce either. (laughs) We're going to be talking about this word pace throughout 2023, and we're going to discuss at what pace will the prices increase? At what pace will the labor market improve? At what pace will the Fed increase rates? 
And we're already beginning to see this shift in this mindset when it comes to the Fed raising rates. You know, we've seen several of the 75 basis increases. And now after the November increase, we've begun to hear things like, well, they may slow down the pace. And now they may only, you know, raise it half of a percent versus three quarters. And so this is kind of the the word that it gives a lot of folks like this warm feeling that while it's bad and it's getting worse, it's just not getting worse as fast as it's been getting worse. Right. <laughs> right. And I think we have to pay attention to that. No question. Based on what you just said and discussed, the future of an energy company, whether it's oil and gas or wind or solar or other, what do you see as the outlook and the best run companies two years from now, the ones that survive. And you've already mentioned the cash flows and you mentioned you being positioned and having a proper workforce, not overstaffed, but properly staffed, wherever that's determined. What other key factors will be the, you know, stand out when it's all over with? I mean, I see that a lot of the oil companies have pulled back. They're investing, but they're very careful how they outlay their funds and seem to be going to be surviving a lot of these companies, but a lot of them won't. So who are the survivors? Not name, but as far as the outlook. Certainly. No, the survivors are those that have cash and been waiting. That's it. Okay. We know some billionaires in the oil and gas industry that really started off making their money by buying up used equipment when times were bad and then reselling it. And you know those folks are just incredible business people that have been around a long time and understand the idea of buying low and selling high. You know, those who have the cash and can sit on the sideline and be patient, those are the ones who are going to win. Those who can offset that trifecta by either borrowing less money or moving their bank to a new banking relationship that has more flexible terms, which again is why I'm with Seacoast and, you know, Seacoast Business Funding, we've provided a lot more flexible terms than what I've seen normally in the market. But the underlying thing is, you know, the labor, which is probably the number one cost. And we're going to see some very large announcements. Amazon just recently announced that they're laying off another 10,000 employees. That may not seem like a big deal, but we're talking about that happening right before their busiest time of the year. Normally, companies hire 10,000 employees going into the holiday season. They're laying off 10,000. There's a lot of companies who are announcing freezes, which is going to be the precipitous of layoffs. So I think we're going to see more layoffs coming in Q1. But those who kind of counter and push against the trifecta of the cost of goods, the labor, and the cost of capital, those are the winners when this is all said and done. Those who manage their supply chain very, very well and don't rely on one supplier, but have gone out to negotiate with two or three additional suppliers so that they can get time of delivery and a reasonable amount of time for their products are the winners in all of this. The future of oil and gas. What do you see? You know, you were involved here in Oklahoma and you've seen the energy industry in our region and across the nation. Where do you see the oil and gas industry in the next five, 10 years down the road? I think it's going to remain fairly steady with some very large volatile peaks and valleys that happen due to social influence. You know, I know, you know, you look at crude, 
you know, by the end of the year, I think they're expecting it to be somewhere. I think the forecast is about $92 a barrel. The natural gas, you know, I think folks are looking at that to be about six to six and a half dollars. While it may be a little bit of an increase from maybe November and December, I think it's going to finish out pretty steady. What's really going to determine how this really shakes out in 2023 will really come down to inflationary pressures that happen in, you know, our OPEC regions. You know, I know inflation is real and it's happening out in that area as well. Europe is obviously getting hit on the energy front when it comes to inflation and cost of energy. Again, a lot of their numbers are going to be released soon, but I think the peaks and the valleys are going to happen due to whatever the news is going to be that day. And that really comes down again. I think I hate to say it, but I think it comes down to the Russia Ukraine war and you know how that war ends will really determine the path as and the pricing on what I consider the oil and gas industry one way or another. I feel very bad about it, but you look at the European market right now, we're going into their winter season and it's going to be a cold one. You know, President Zelensky over at in Ukraine, you know, made a statement just recently that he thinks that this is the beginning of the end of the war of Russia. That might just be a morale booster statement just to kind of help the troops out, but you know, I've been in the army and I know that morale doesn't get very high when you're shivering. When you're cold, it becomes very difficult. And if Russia controls the energy industry in that region, and especially on the Western side of Europe, it's going to be disastrous. And so there may be some pressures to end that war in a way that may not benefit Ukraine as well as they would have hoped. I don't know. Predicting oil and gas right now is like predicting the stock market right now, like the (laughs) amount of uncertainty that's happening. But I don't think they've had their bumps and bruises in the last few years. And I think that we're at a price point right now where I think it's going to stabilize for a little while and we will see a little bit of the upticks and the downticks depending on what the news is of the day. Crypto cryptocurrency. Where are we there? What's, I mean, we're talking about scenarios, the ups and downs. I mean, just as of recent activity going on, do you see much of a future there? And how's it applied to the banking industry? I was told by a crypto expert here recently that the billionaires who have made their billions out of crypto have exited crypto and there's just not much upside happening right now. Now that may change, but you're talking about, I kind of tie it back actually to and I wasn't alive back then. I don't think you were either. The 20s where you saw pictures of the oil and gas rigs, the derricks that, you know, the crude oil derricks that were out there all over Oklahoma and Texas that were just about, you know, 100 feet from each other, it seemed like. It was the Wild West. And there were really very little rules, if any at all. And people were making money hand over fist. And then government came in and regulated it. And those who had money and made a bunch of money, had extremely large companies and those that got out, got out. But I think today it's almost like that with crypto. I think that we have seen a good five to 10 year run of crypto and there was really no rules and regulations involved with it. And it was a wild west and people made a ridiculous amount of money at it. Mm -hmm. And 
government is coming in now and very adamantly going to regulate it. It's not a, you know, if they're going to regulate it, it's when and how hard. And I think that has pushed a lot of those people who have invested a lot of money into the crypto market out. When it comes to getting information from you, you already mentioned about your contact information. I will say that'll be in our show notes. And I hope those that are interested in getting in touch with you will do so. Go to our show notes because we also have place you can go to is, and give your feedback as far as contacting us uh, about questions and as far as guests that you would like to hear from and also subjects and also leave a review. We'd love to hear from you, hear about the review and any messages you might have. And again, go to our show notes on that as well. Uh, well last things I want to go over with for the audience is tips that you can give about your daily life. What do you do to keep, you know, I look at dashboards and metrics and I've changed those for the last 45 years. I keep trying to find the right model, but life changes. We didn't have all these things. We've talked about a lot of these things back 45 years ago that we had to confront. With that said, how do you manage your daily life on a daily, maybe a weekly, monthly, yearly? How do you put things in perspective and maybe whether it's periodicals or scheduling or again, what drives Stacy Huddleston each day? Yeah. That's a whole nother show probably to talk about <laughs> <You're right. laughs> what to do and what not to do. <laughs> I think like anybody, we kind of do some time blocks and block out times specific to tasks that we want to look at. And I tend to do a decent job of that where I read an actual book, not an article or some sort of a website, but I read a minimum of 30 minutes a day. I'm not you know, an adamant reader. It takes a lot for me to read through a book. I'm actually, believe it or not, in the middle of an incredible book called Black Veteran Entrepreneur by Iron Mike Stedman and Alana Abernathy. I mean, just incredible insight and just a beautiful book when it comes to entrepreneurship. So I spent a little bit of time reading, you know, time block a lot of appointments throughout the day, whether it be phone calls incoming or outgoing and emails. But I will tell you that the one thing that really keeps me grounded every day is I spend at the end of the day, at the end of the workday, I actually spend time one-on-one with my wife, with no kids, with no TV, no phones. And I just ask her about her day and talk about what she's doing and what I can do to help her. Just that one-on-one time where we just were in the moment and we're present is extremely important. And I think if we do that, not just with spouses, but with friends, and don't be so quick to jump to whatever argument you want, whether it's geopolitical or energy-related or economy-related, and just say, you know what, I'm going to ask questions and I'm not going to give my opinion for 15 minutes, (laughs) I think is really important so that we can truly understand where the other person's coming from. Great advice. Great interview. As always, Stacy, Stacy Huddleston. Again, go to our show notes to learn how you can contact Stacy and also about our podcast as well. You've been listening to the Energy Fellows Podcast. I'm Mark Stansbury. And remember, the future of energy depends on us, depends on all of us. Join us again next week on the Energy Fellows Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. To learn more, go to OGGN.com.